Some of you, that's all you needed to hear this morning. You're looking for help to the hills. We look to the hills. The one who formed our hearts. That's who we get to call on. We've been on a, in a series called On Your Mark, where we're looking at our life as if it's a race. And we're saying that we want to spiritually improve or spiritually mature this year in the race that God has laid out in front of us. And just like any race, there are some good habits you can put into action so that you might improve in this race. We call them spiritual disciplines, spiritual practices. A couple weeks ago, we started off by looking at the most important. If you want to run with endurance, the race marked out from you successfully this year, it begins by spending time with God's Word. So we said we read His Word. We meditate on his word. We memorize it. We study it. We apply it. There is nothing more important for your spiritual journey than spending time with the Lord in his word. And then last week we looked at the practice of confession. There are gaps between what we say we believe and the way that we actually live. So we go before God and we say, I recognize there's a gap and it's sin and I'm sorry. I don't want to live this way, and we start putting it into action by saying, I'm going to repent and go a different way. Today, we are going to look at the practice of prayer. Now, prayer is an integral part of the Christian life. Most believers I know have very simple prayer lives. They pray simple prayers, and very often those prayers are repeated at the same times throughout their day. And on occasion, when they feel desperate, they pray prayers of desperation. But that's most believers, I would say, that's how we, we talk about prayer a lot. As a matter of fact, we say, well, I need to pray about this, or I'll pray for you, or you comment praying, but I'm just not sure you follow up with action in prayer. So what we need to do, though, since we're talking about maturing as believers in Jesus, that means we need to own up to the lame excuses we tolerate in order to live very mediocre spiritual lives. We say things like, well, I don't have time to pray. Or we say, you know, I don't really know how to pray. Or we say, well, I tried that once before and I didn't get what I wanted, so I'm not sure I'm going to do that anymore. Or we say, you know, God already knows, so I don't quite know what the purpose is in praying. Well, those are the excuses we pray or say. So here's the point, the bottom line of it. Prayer is our lifeline because it's through prayer that we communicate with God. <clears throat> prayer will inevitably draw you closer to God, and it will also provide for you the fuel that you need to be able to run with endurance the race that's marked out for you. So today we're going to flip over in the Hebrews <clears throat> to chapter 10. Now, there is an unmistakable parallel in the passage we're going to look at this, at this morning to the passage we looked at last week from Hebrews in fact, the theme is the same thing, draw near to God. Well, one of the greatest tools in teaching is repetition. So the writer of Hebrews repeats here in critical places, and I'm going to employ the same thing today. It may sound repetitive, but I think there's new application for us. So look with me, Hebrews 10. I'm going to read to you verses 19 through 22. Therefore, brethren... 
since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the text is clear here. We experience the power that's available to us in Jesus by drawing near to God. We open the series with a three-word takeaway. Run the race. In other words, nobody's sitting in the stands. Nobody's just cheering others on. We are all to run the race. <clears throat> Two weeks ago, <clears throat> it was another three-word application. Read your Bible. Simple as that. So if you want to you know, grow spiritually, I'm to run the race. I'm to read the Bible. Last week, another three-word takeaway. Confess to God. I come before God in confession. Well, today is even simpler than that. It's a one-word takeaway that surely you can hold on to. Pray. That is the whole message summed up, and you can tune me out now if you want to, but running with endurance the race marked out for us requires a commitment to continually draw near to God through sincere prayer. We're going to study this passage by looking first at the grounds for our ability to draw near to God. Then we're going to look at the exhortation that believers should approach God, and I would say especially through prayer. So look with me, verses 19 and 20, uh, through 20, and the grounds we have for a confident spirit. The writer of Hebrews once again opens with this word, therefore. And if we had time to look back into this passage, I think what we would see is that the text is saying, in view of what God has done. We serve a good God who has done an unfathomable thing for us. Under the old covenant, God told the Hebrew people that he would interact with them in this way. He said, you bring the sacrifice and I'll bring the forgiveness. Now, he spoke into how they were to, which sacrifice to bring, how to present it. But he says, you bring it and I'll bring the forgiveness. Under the new covenant, in Jesus, generations later, Jesus, God now says, I'll bring the sacrifice and I'll bring the forgiveness. All you have to do is have faith. So no more worrying about, are we, is, is the sacrifice sufficient? Did we present it in the right way? We simply have faith in Jesus because God says, I bring both sacrifice and forgiveness. What a good thing God has done. So in light of what God has done, brothers and sisters, the writer says we have in our possession exactly what we need. Well, what is it that we have in our possession? We have confidence, the word says, to enter the holy place. The holy place is God's very presence. It's our position that we now have under the new covenant. So where does the confidence to enter come from? Our confidence is based on the fact that we are good people who do all of the right things. We go to church like we should. We read the Bible like we should. We avoid temptation. We don't sin. We, we give offerings we listen to the Sunday school teacher. We show up for choir rehearsal. We are good people. That is why we have confidence to approach God. 
Yesterday, Rachel and I took Amelia to go see the musical Wicked at the Coger Center. And one of the themes of this musical is the obsession that the people of Oz have with Glinda's goodness. They say she's just so good. And the person who's most obsessed with how good Glinda is, is Glinda. So let me say to you, our confidence in approaching God better not come from how good we think we are. Our goodness will get us nowhere with regards to confidence to approach God's holy place. On its own, human effort is doomed to failure from the very start. So our confidence better come from the Lord. The writer of Hebrews says, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. That's it. The blood of Jesus. Ray Stedman writes, we can enter the, with boldness and with no uncertainty about our acceptance since Everything rests on the blood of Jesus. So not only do we get in the door, we also walk boldly before God's presence with the blood of, the G of Jesus as our ticket. That's our way in. So we can confidently approach him now. On the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, the, the uh, high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would carry with him the blood of a bull. That was his ticket in. His total confidence in asking for God's forgiveness was in the blood of this bull that he carried in before the altar of God. Look at verse 4 there in chapter 10. I have to turn the page to get there. But it says, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Our forgiveness comes from Jesus' blood, not from the blood of some animal. God has become the sacrifice, and God has extended the forgiveness we need. You know, many people have tried to approach God in their own merits. Most of us do. That's how we start off. We think, well, I can be good enough. Or perhaps um, my parents were good enough. Or I've read enough of the Bible. Or I'm faithful enough in going to church. Or whatever it might be. Hebrews says in another chapter, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness. So we need shed blood, but it's the blood of Jesus. We need Jesus' blood in order to be forgiven. And you can't earn that. You can only receive it by faith. Faith that Jesus is who he says he is. That you believe in him and receive him into your life as Lord and Savior. So we enter God's presence because of the blood of Jesus. The scripture says this is a new and living way. It's a way that leads us, uh, that Jesus inaugurates and it takes us in through the veil. Now, when we hear the veil, it reminds us of the Holy of Holies, where that veil separated God from the people, right? So there's this veil that says, you can't come in here. One of the more fascinating things that happens at Jesus' death, Matthew's gospel tells us about it in Matthew 27, verse 51. After, as Jesus is dying on the cross, it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The veil at the temple was opened as Christ was sacrificed. The veil has become his flesh. So our way in now is through Jesus. So this is what we learn. Being in relationship with Jesus gives us confidence to approach God in prayer. 
You know, it's been an interesting week for our country. The president um, is impeached. He's on trial in the U.S. Senate. I'm sure some of you are doing your best to pay attention, and the rest of you are doing your best to not even listen to what's going on. And so, but I'm sure there are certain things that are happening in our world that have grabbed your attention. And you like, you know what? I would like to give everybody a piece of my mind. And some of you would love to parade up to Capitol Hill or up to 1600 Avenue, uh, Pennsylvania Avenue, walk into the Oval Office, walk into the Senate and say, listen, I got something to say and I want you to listen. I know you want to do that because I read your Facebook feed and your Twitter feed. <laughs> Nobody could do that. You couldn't make it into the Senate. You couldn't make it into the Oval Office. Well, who would dare bust up in the Holy of Holies to come and say, God, I've got something to ask. Warren Wearsby writes, no old covenant worshiper would have been bold enough to try to enter the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. But the scripture says we can enter. We can enter with confidence into God's presence. And I wonder in light of that, what do your prayers sound like? Do they sound like one who is confidently approaching the God of the universe. When we approach God in prayer, we go before him in total confidence that we're not going to be turned away and that we're going to be heard. Isn't that an incredible thought? The God of all creation turns his ear towards you. He listens with interest to what you have to say. He's not preoccupied. He's not distracted. He's not disinterested. He's not self-absorbed. He's not offended. He is eyes locked, leaned in, concerned, and overjoyed that you would come before him with a request. So the writer of Hebrews says the grounds for approaching God comes first of all because of a confident spirit we have by the blood of Jesus. Second, we approach because of the competence of our advocate. He repeats the phrase here, since we have. And the implied idea is, because of what Jesus has done, we have in our possession. And he says, it's a great priest. Of course, that reminds you of maybe a previous sermon where we talked about that great high priest. Our great priest is Jesus. The great priest who administrates over our relationship to God. He's the one who's responsible for our ability to be in relationship with God. And his interest is in every member of the household of God. In fact, if you look back in Hebrews 3, verse 6, it says that you and I are the house of God. So Jesus' interest is in every member of God's household. That's the church universal, the church invisible. Believers here on earth, believers in heaven. That's who Jesus is concerned with here. And the point here is that our only mediator is Jesus. And he is competent to serve as that go-between. Recently, there was this heightened tension between the United States and Iran. And uh, as that situation was going down, one of the interesting stories that came out was how the United States government communicates with the officials of Iran. And they do not have direct communication. But the stories pointed out how important it is that the Swiss embassy plays a role as a go-between. That way, when we communicate, the U.S. communicates with Iran, there's no mixed-up words There's no misunderstandings. They do a great job at clearly communicating. Well, as Christians, our go-between, 
Our mediator is Jesus, who is God in the flesh. So that means we have direct communication with God. You don't have to go to your pastor to pray. You don't have to go to your mom or your grandma to pray. Every single one of us can communicate directly. And so what I'd like to suggest to you is since Jesus is our great priest, that should affect our prayers. Let me tell you what I mean. Our great priest, Jesus, is continually available. There's no line to get to him. There's not a waiting period for him to, uh, you know, to come and see what you might have to say. There's no line there. He is continually available. So our prayers should be continuous. Prayers should be regularly practiced. In fact, that's the challenge I'm going to give you today. Is this week that you would put into practice habits of regular, daily, continuous prayer with God. Not casual prayers just before meals or meaningless words that you repeat because you do it every day. I'm talking about true and sincere prayer with God. Second thing, our great priest is completely aware of our situation. You know when somebody asks you, so how are you doing? And you think, you know what, I'm not going to unload on them because they don't know what they're asking. They don't really want to know what I have going on in my life. And I don't have the effort or the energy to be able to put into this to explain what's going on in my life right now. Jesus knows exactly what you're going through. He knows the trial. He knows the temptation. He knows the trouble. He knows the desires of your heart. He knows your hopes and your dreams. He knows the questions in your mind. He knows the issues you've been facing. And he knows all of the backstories. So when you pray, you can expect him to already know. You don't have to fill him in. You can just speak from your heart. Whatever's on your chest, you just let it be known. Finally, our high priest is intimately involved with you working all together for your good. So when you pray to God, you're not saying, God, I know you hadn't noticed this yet. Or, God, would you just turn your attention over here real quick? He already knows. In fact, he's already involved before you even recognized you had a need. So that means there's nothing too big to take to him. And there's nothing too small. Because he is already at work. To bring about your good. So since we have confidence through the blood of Jesus, and since we have a great high priest in Jesus, the writer says, let us approach with sincerity. A passage of scripture, uh, this passage of scripture actually contains three exhortations. We're only going to look at one of them today. We'll wrap up the series next week uh, by looking at those final exhortations in verses 23 through 25. But here we are exhorted to draw near. And the verbiage have, uh, here implies that there is this continuous approach. Let us continually draw near. It's, one commentator says it's like the wick of an oil lamp. It's sitting in the oil, constantly drawing up the fuel so that the lamp never goes out. In the same way, our prayers should be continuous because we are constantly drawing upon God for the strength that we need, for the provision we need, for the grace that we need to live our lives. Our personal approach, because it's each of us, this drawing near demands two things. He says it brings a sincere heart with full assurance. That means hearts that are truly committed to him. We fixed our choice. It's Jesus. He's not my last resort. He's my only resort. Second, he writes in full assurance of faith. Now, we could hear this and think, okay, so I've got to will myself not to have any doubts right now. When I pray, I've, I've, got, I've, I've just got to get rid of the doubts. I don't think that's what's implied here. Instead, what we have is full assurance that is supplied to us by our faith. 
Faith is all we need. And the faith gives us the full assurance. What's the difference between big faith and small faith? Jesus says faith, like a mustard seed, can move mountains. So big faith and small faith, they don't matter. It's object of faith. I trust in Jesus. He can do anything. He'll do what he says he'll do. So faith is defined in the book of Hebrews as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So our hope is in Jesus, that he is who he says he is, and that's where our assurance comes from when we approach God. Last week we looked at Hebrews 4.16, and the focus was on this exhortation to draw near, and I would say that the point was prayer. Now we applied it to confession because that's an important spiritual discipline. So, so that's what we did. Well, this week, he's saying it's the same application, but I think it actually encapsulates all worship. We draw near to God in worship, which includes prayer that we're focused on this morning. We draw near with our hearts sprinkled clean with an evil, uh, uh, from an evil conscience. I think it's real important it says the heart, because the, the idea is that I can't clean myself up. I need Jesus, the true heart surgeon, to come and do the work for me. I could never make myself ready to approach God. So it's heart sprinkled clean. There is this body's wash, but we can't wash it ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit. That's what it means here. So the point is this. We've been given access to God. So can I say to you, First Baptist Church, those who are joining us by worship this morning, since we've been given access to God, let us draw near with confidence to God in continuous prayer. So drawing near to God should be more than formal prayer. I believe to draw near to God, first of all, we need sincerity. In other words, we don't come with this kind of religious cover. We just come with him, to him with what's on our minds, what's on our hearts. So we pray. No, no need to dress it up. Just come with sincerity. Second, we come or we draw near believingly. And I don't think that's a real word, but I need that adverb. Because we draw with belief near to God. What I mean is that when we pray, we do so with simple faith that God is who he says he is, and he can do what he says he will do. So we take God at his word. We don't expect that he's limited or he's changed from the way he's presented in scripture. We pray believing that God is who he says he is. And third, we draw near without guilt. We talked about confession last week, and the idea is this. When we go in before God, our sins are covered. So we don't have to go in thinking, you don't want to hear what I have to say. Because I haven't been doing what I should do, so why should I expect him to do it? Our sins were covered at the cross. So I'm fully forgiven through the sacrifice of Jesus. So we draw near without guilt. We experience the power that's available to us in Jesus by drawing near to God. Running with endurance, the race marked out for us, requires a commitment to continually draw near to God through sincere prayer. Well, I want to offer to you some clear and easy application. Um, we have a goal, and our goal this year is to run with endurance the race that's marked out for us, maturing as disciples of Jesus, uh, growing to love him more deeply, growing to love others more sacrificially. And one of the ways to mature as a disciple of Jesus is through the discipline of prayer. Now, I recognize that some of you are more mature in your prayer life than others. Some of you have prayer journals that you follow. You have a prayer closet. You have regular habits of uh, intercessory prayer. Others of you have no idea how to even practice a habit of prayer. 
guess what? That's okay. <laughs> because prayer is learned. And the best way to learn is by practicing. No, no matter how weak or strong your prayer life is, you can learn to grow, to become stronger. And the very best way to learn is through practice. In fact, Andrew Murray wrote, reading a book about prayer, listening to lectures and talking about it, it's very good, but it won't teach you to pray. You get nothing without exercise, without practice. In other words, practicing prayer improves your prayer life. So this week, how about we put habits of prayer into practice each day? Um, I would say that our biggest problem is, is we don't plan to pray. Uh, we just have those habits of those couple times that we pray during the day, and then when something interrupts us and we get real discouraged or very frustrated or uh, at wit's end, we pray. And so, other than felt needs, we don't plan to pray. Well, we are to continually draw near to God. That means over and over again, with a reason, without a reason. So, what sort of application is needed here? I know, let, let me just go and tell you this. I've been convicted through studying this. I know where I need to, what changes I need to make. Some of you know what you need to do. So I would ask you to do that. But for all of us and perhaps the others, I would say to you, let me give you just a little bit of a challenge of how you can go through every day this week with daily habits of prayer. You begin tonight. As you go to sleep, you're going to look at your pillow. And as you see that pillow, you're going to think of me and this sermon today. And you're going to say, I need to pray. And what I want you to say is, God, thank you I'm alive. I know I don't have to be, but I am. Thank you for that. And maybe you would just go through today of the things that God's providing and say, thank you for that. And I don't even really know if you affect that, but thank you for that. And then what I like to do whenever I'm laying there in bed sometimes is just open my hands as an act or a demonstration to God of I'm letting go. All those burdens on my mind, God, would you just take them away? So tonight, as you see that pillow, you just pray those things. Thank you, God, and just take these things away. I'm not meant to carry the burdens about the outcomes of my life. You are, so I give them to you. Then hopefully you'll sleep, and when you wake up to whatever alarm gets you out of bed, and you lay your eyes on that alarm. It might be a phone. It might be a clock. It might be a person. It might be at the window because you hear a lawnmower outside, whatever it is. When you get woke up, and you I want you to think about me and this sermon, and I want you to pray. And I want you to say, Psalm 118, this is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. It's not yesterday's the day God made or tomorrow's the day. It's today. So no matter how ordinary it is, God made this day for you. And God, help me to rejoice. And then you might just, in prayer, invite God to walk through you in that day, with you on that day. You might say to him, God, I've got this meeting coming up, and I really don't want to have to go to it. Or I've got to see this person. I'm just concerned about that. God, would you go with me in those things? After this, you'll do whatever it takes to get you ready. It might be some of you just need a cup of coffee at this point to clear the mind. And I would say take the cup of coffee, okay? But the next thing you do is to get yourself ready. Hopefully, you clean yourself up a little bit. Brush your teeth maybe. That'd be good. Uh, maybe uh, wash off in some way. Well, as you're doing that, to practice prayer, I want you to think right there in that moment, God... Would you come clean me up? I can brush my teeth, but I can't tame this tongue. And maybe I don't say words I ought not say, but sometimes I say some real sharp things and some real judgmental things. And I speak before I think, God, would you help me today? Clean me up and help me to avoid the stumbling blocks of temptation. 
And the next thing most of you are going to do is you're going to grab your cell phone and put it in your pocket, put it in your purse. And that phone for most of you is your connection to the outside world. Most importantly, it connects you to people. And so as you see that cell phone, you think about West Church. And you think about this sermon today and you say, I need to pray. And I want you to pray for those people that you're going to have to interact with. And you say, God, help me to see people the way you do. That they are somebody you made. That they are somebody with purpose. That they are somebody that you, Jesus, went to the cross for. So help me as I interact with them to treat them with the dignity they deserve. And to encourage them to draw closer to you. Just because they've met with me. God, would you do that for me? For many of you, the next step step will be work or maybe school. Some of you have uh, other tasks. Parenting, cleaning the house, running errands, just trying to survive another day. Whatever it is you do. If you sit down at a desk or maybe in a classroom, or if you sit down on your sofa or you sit down behind that wheel, you think about this sermon today, and you, you, you think about Paul's words to the Colossians. He wrote, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do. It's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Work at it with all your heart. You look at your life as if you were there. I'm here serving you, Jesus. And I want to be a good employee. I want to be a good student. So God, would you help me today? You, you know, because if, you, if God was your teacher, if Jesus was your teacher, and you ran into a problem, you'd go say, Jesus, can you help me? I already know you know the answer, you know? So you do the same thing as you go through your day. Jesus, would you help me with this? Help me with the interaction with this person, this frustrating situation, this burden that I'm carrying. You just pray that way. And then finally, you're going to have some leisure time. For many of you, it will be with remote control. And as you watch that TV, you can watch TV, okay? You can watch TV. I'm not telling you to do something so sacrificial, but watch TV with a prayerful heart, prayerful mind. And you say, as you flip through and you see those news stations, you start to get frustrated. Instead of getting frustrated, you say, God, would you help in this situation? As you scroll through Facebook and you start to judge that person, I can't believe they put that there. Would you pray, God, help me to, would you bless them? Help me to be an encouragement to them. Then you know what happens? You see your pillow, and you begin again. Let's commit to pray like this every day this week and see what God might do in helping us to run the race that's before us. If we're going to mature in the faith so that we arrive at the end of the year having grown in love for God and having matured in love for others, it's going to take sincere prayer. So let us boldly, as believers in Jesus, go before God in fervent prayer for his kingdom come and his will be done. Father and God, we thank you so much that we have the privilege to come before you. We know that we don't deserve to be standing here. We don't deserve having you in our midst. But because of the blood of Jesus, and we're so thankful for it. God, I pray for each person here that as we respond now to say, and this is how I'm going to live in light of that. God, help us to be faithful to the commitment. God, help us to mature in faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God's speaking to your heart this morning. I hope you would respond. Some of you it would be to the gospel. Some of you it would be to joining this church, following in believers' baptism. I don't know what the response is. You might just need to make it where you are. But if you need to come forward, I'll be standing down front. As God moves in your heart, you respond. You stand. Our choir will sing. And I'll be waiting for you down front.
be thinking about me a lot tomorrow, and it might draw you to prayer. Tonight we have an ordination service. We have uh, some deacons being ordained and one person being ordained to the gospel ministry. That'll be at 6 o'clock right here in the service. In the sanctuary, I invite you to be here for that. Uh, thrilled to have these uh, men coming on board as deacons and also for Ron and his uh, uh, ministry. And so uh, you'll be back then. Steve, I'm just going to pray, and then perhaps we can just kind of go out with worship. So you stand with me, and I'll pray our benediction will be dismissed. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, because we get to speak to you. I pray that you bless us now as we go to serve you. In Jesus' name.